And what he was doing was, and it's just my personal opinion, I haven't spoke to anybody, this is just me evaluating the game. What I saw out of James Harden was a guy trying to help Joel Embiid win the scoring title. A guy that was trying to help Joel Embiid win his first MVP. Because I saw him. We keep talking about Ben Simmons and what he bring on the defensive side of things. Where the hell was Ben Simmons last year when they were playing the Hawks and Trey Young was torching them? I'm, I'm telling y'all, look, I'm not jumping off this ship. I'm gonna have to sink with it. I am staying with the Memphis Grizzlies. You are now listening to The Hoop Forum on the Dip Podcast Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another edition of the Hoop Form NBA podcast. Today is a very special episode as we are bringing on one Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports and host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, uh, where he covers the Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Denver Nuggets just a fascinating team right now in the NBA. And, and here at the Hoop Form, we obviously respect uh, the talent. That is Nikola Jokic uh, and, and the chemistry between him and Jamal. And that's definitely something we want to dive in today. Uh, before we get into all that uh, great discussion about the Nuggets, though, we would love to hear uh, from Ryan here in terms of his coverage of the Denver Nuggets through Mile High and his podcast. Uh, so, Ryan, go ahead. Floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. I started covering the Nuggets probably about six, maybe maybe seven years ago and uh, was out over at Denver Stiffs at that point, just kind of gaining my ground and, and kind of learning my craft. I started podcasting a little bit while I was over there and uh, ultimately found a partnership with Nate Lundy, who runs Mile High Sports, and we, we created the Pickaxe and Roll podcast together. Uh, that's been going strong, going pretty well for the last year and a half or so. And it's been going so well that he decided to hire me on full time. And I'm now covering the Nuggets over there as the Nuggets analyst and got a little bit of free reign so I can cover the team basically how I want. But really exciting to get into that, especially in what should be a very exciting season. Yeah, it's definitely looking to be an exciting season. Uh, Love to see the Nuggets come back healthy and strong here and really reinstate themselves in the, you know, the top three of this conference. Cause I think that's where they belong. Uh, when you truly think about it with Jamal on the floor, healthy with Nikola Jokic, the chemistry is almost second to none in the NBA. In my opinion, uh, honestly, it's that, it, it's that smooth, uh, of a system when those two are playing on the floor together. And Nikola Jokic, just an absolute amazing talent. Uh, the other day I was watching that clip uh, where he was getting locked down by Giannis in Euroball, and he turned around and hit the Sambor shuffle uh, with the knee up. And it's just an incredible, incredible shot. And the things that he does on the floor uh, combined with Jamal's just hustle and, and willingness to play off the ball and the, the pick and roll between the two is incredible. Uh, just interested to see that and uh, was wondering how you feel about that relationship between those two and what we can expect uh, with Jamal assumingly coming back healthy and if you have heard anything about his uh, recovering process. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, Jamal's doing really well. He's in a very good spot. And 
I just wrote an article that, that went up today on Mile High Sports, recording this on Wednesday. And we uh, have a really good picture, I think, of what Jamal's going to look like, despite the fact that he hasn't played a minute in the 2021-22 season. There's a good, I think, frame of reference, a frame of mind for these kinds of players. And I did some data work on guys like Zach Levine and Danilo Gallinari and Kristaps Porzingis, kind of all the way dating back to Derek Rose and Jabari Parker on various players that have torn their ACL and what their recoveries looked like. And I think it's going to be fine. I honestly do. You see a lot of those guys kind of get back to the same place where they were, or at least very close to it. Uh, Zach Levine has continued to go above and beyond in terms of what he used to, or what he was doing before the tear. And now he's a much better player in general. So I don't see any reason why Jamal can't get back to that place and maybe exceed what he was doing. And what he was doing was he, he was a legitimate uh, star tandem for Nikola Jokic. When you have Jokic as kind of your first option, your alpha, the player who's running the, the, the scoring and playmaking for the entire team, what Jamal Murray would do was riff off of that. He'd be able to create in the two-man game, be able to create and pick and roll. And those guys, like you mentioned, they have a great chemistry. It might not be to the level of a Steph Curry and Draymond Green, but in terms of other tandems, in terms of other players, it is right up there with just about anybody. And I expect that to pick up right where they left off. It'll be like like he never left. I certainly hope so. I mean, one of Ben and I, our favorite pick-and-roll duo in the league, I think, is Middleton and Giannis. But when you think about the potential of what Jamal and Nikola Jokic can be, and another big question I had for you, Ryan, was this team that's going to be going onto the floor this year is much different than the Western Conference Finals team in terms of, I mean, literally no Jeremy Grant, no Paul Millsap presence, no, I is it really better Will Barton? Like, they just had... Monte Morris, they had some premier role players really giving them great minutes in the playoffs being maximized by Jokic. But when you have guys like Aaron Gordon now and Michael Porter Jr., who's, I mean, I feel like he's proven at this point. I'm not sure how you feel about him because the the straight eye test at the stats, 20, like, what was it around? 24 points a game on 42% from three. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you were talking about Porter, I think that's what you're talking about after the uh, after Murray went down, I assume. Uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, like Porter, Porter, I think, is very clearly a solid number two option. And, and he will be the number three option and, and probably one of the best and one of the most explosive at that point. Uh, you think about guys like Drew Holiday, Tyrese Maxey, Bam Adebayo. I think I'd probably take Michael Porter Jr. as a pure scorer over just about any of those guys. And that's impressive. Like that's that's to this point, he's played two years. And though he has missed a his first year of his career and this last year of his career, I see him picking kind of right off, right up where he left off too. And his goal in this is going to just be to get back to the place where he's hitting those outside shots. He doesn't necessarily have the pressure of being a second option like he did at the beginning of last year. Uh, now that Murray is back, they have other options outside of him, though. And I think that's one of the things that you're kind of getting to 
with the bubble. When Denver was in the bubble, they had these guys, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Torrey Craig was another one. Uh, now you replace those guys with, and I'm not including Michael Porter in this, you include uh, Bruce Brown, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and Aaron Gordon as your primary three. Those guys will play a bunch of minutes, and you add Bones Highland kind of reprising that Monte Morris role. You have Michael Porter Jr., who should be better than where he was in the bubble as a rookie. I see no reason why this team can't kind of reprise what they did, and it's possible that that supporting cast is even better. And that's an exciting place to be. Exactly. Exactly. That's what has us so excited as well, is just the entire potential that is really teeming over here. It's just like you want the season to start to see just how well this chemistry is going to pick up. at. Because, I mean, when they acquired Gordon at the deadline, the messy Kyle Lowry deadline, it was just like what... I forget what their record was. I know they had at least 10 wins and less than three losses during that stretch before Jamal went down. Glow famously always uh, credits that as like being like one of the greatest teams ever. <laughs> oh yeah, the theoretical Denver Nuggets are Zach Lowe's number one in his heart. Before Jamal went down, yeah. Uh, but you know, you have other theoretical teams in the Western Conference as well. The Clippers... Uh, the Golden State Warriors are theoretical now because you got to buy into these young guys and you don't know what they're going to be truly uh, and how they're going to move forward here the next couple of years. So I guess, Ryan, in your opinion, when you're looking at the rest rest of the Western Conference, uh, how do you feel this this current roster coming into the season for Denver stacks up against those other teams I mentioned, like the Clippers, uh, Golden State Warriors, etc.? Sure, and I, I I would lump in Phoenix into that conversation as well. I do think Denver's in that tier. I, I don't see a team really separating themselves from that tier, and I, I genuinely believe that any of those teams could represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It just really it depends on the matchups. I think what you saw from Phoenix this last year was that they can be as great as they are but if you run into a superstar that cannot be stopped and then they find a solution for your offense, then there are definitely some issues that all of these teams could have. I think Golden State, though they looked unbeatable at times in the playoffs, are not unbeatable. They have a really, really good group, but Jordan Poole is flawed. Klay Thompson is flawed. Draymond Green is flawed. Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney. And then you start getting into those young guys of course, you're going to probably have a, a really tough time with a team like that, but you're going to have a tough time with a team like the Nuggets as well. The Clippers are the one team that I would be like, okay, for Denver specifically, that's a pretty good matchup because Ivisa Zubac is going to have to be on the court and they want to play without a center. They want to get to those lineups as often as possible. But in terms of pure talent, the Clippers probably have the most in the West, and you just have to respect that for sure. Yeah, the Clippers are looking scary. I mean, there's not a lot of options for Norm Powell, Robert Covington being sold to the Los Angeles Clippers for peanuts. I'm a Portland Trailblazers fan at heart, so that especially hurts me. But I'm so sorry. It's just, that was one of the worst <laughs> days of my life, and then they traded CJ, and you know, like, I just, I envy the Nuggets so much in this stage of their rebuild, you know, like this just pedal forward on Jamal and Jokic for what Damon CJ was, but as unfortunate as that is, Kawhi Leonard definitely 
is due for redemption against the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. He's a threat. He is a major threat. And that's the problem is that we say this many times. The theoretical Los Angeles Clippers. Is Paul George going to miss two more free throws in the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets while the game is on the line? (laughs) We have no idea because, I mean, he certainly didn't finish out games well in the bubble. That was a whole different mental landscape as he's made that clear, obviously. But what else does that say about the Nuggets then? They were just more locked in. So perhaps that's what really can take them to the next level against a on paper, more talented Los Angeles Clippers team that just added John Wall security 16 minutes a night. Just a little extra something on the top. Right, exactly. (laughs) I, I think I would say that one of the things that really separated the Nuggets in that bubble series in particular was just the belief that they had as the resilience that they had. And it, that really hangs on Murray and Jokic and, and those two playing together. The Nuggets always feel like they have an opportunity when those guys are on the court. They, they feel like they can play. They feel like they can play with just about anybody. And that includes the Warriors who, who really housed them over the course of this past playoff run. But when Denver has their healthy crew together, it's, a th- it's more theoretical than just about any team, including the Clippers. Because when you saw the Clippers, they were like, you. everybody can see that. But with Porter, I think a, a lot of it is a little bit ambiguous. With Murray, he's coming back from an ACL. I don't understand why he is more questioned than Kawhi Leonard's return, but it is what it is. Kawhi has had all these injuries before. This is Murray's first major one, so hopefully he just comes back and is better after that, but Jokic may be the best player in the world. There's at least a credible argument over the course of these past two years that he's been the most uh, impactful player in the NBA. Whether that translates to a playoff series or not, of course, it remains to be seen. You hope that Denver's added perimeter defense can kind of mitigate some of those weaknesses that really showed up for him, but he was playing the Golden State Warriors. He was playing one of the best perimeter shooting teams in the world. And obviously, he's going he's gonna to struggle in some of those situations, especially when the perimeter defenders were, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but there were Monte Morris and Will Barton. That was pretty brutal. Austin Rivers, too. Austin Rivers was the best perimeter defender on the Nuggets. And that's, that's, a, really, that's a really horrible thing to say. So now they've got some they've got some competence in the building again, and I, I feel like they have some good uh, confidence that they can go out and just match up with just about anybody, and that's a really really exciting thing. Yeah, and to roll right off of that, first off, uh, Austin Rivers uh, now a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves, yeah, which for, just makes that even worse, even worse. Love but it. for the first year of our podcast, <laughs> we actually uh, had. Uh, a highlight from where Austin Rivers, uh, what he he stole the ball from uh, Harden, yeah, and then, and then took he off. attempted to drive up the floor and slips, slipped and fell. Uh, so we had the audio from that on our intro, <laughs> and we just consistently threw off nice. shade at Austin Rivers. Uh, but nonetheless, just a fun little aside there. Nonetheless, I wanted to uh, pick your mind about uh, Bones Bones Highland because on your most recent episode of Pickaxe and Roll, you mentioned how. When you're breaking down the minutes of this rotation, Bones could be seeing just as many, if not more, minutes than Jamal if if they're slow rolling Jamal. If Jamal's not uh, completely healthy, uh, I think you threw out a couple different scenarios there. Uh, what is what is Bones' ceiling, and and what 
what could we see from lineups that potentially have Jokic, Jamal, and Bones all on the floor at the same time? Yeah, I, everybody's excited about Bones. Everybody's excited about Bones in the Nuggets fandom with the Nuggets organization themselves. They believe they got a hit. They believe they got a guy who really connects with the fan base well, who really is about all the right things. And as a rookie, he was an all-rookie member outside of the top, or he was in the top 10 in the terms of impactful rookies this year while being drafted at 26th overall. It was a really nice story. He is going to get a lot of opportunities next year. When Murray sits, Bones will probably start. And Murray is going to sit. He's going like, this just happens in ACL rehab and ACL recovery. Murray is probably not going to play all of the games. And so there will be opportunities for Bones in those situations. And even when Murray is out there, there's a lot of opportunity for Bones on the second unit where Denver doesn't have a lot of main focal points offensively. They'll do some staggering with Murray, with Porter, but probably not a ton because they're going to try to develop as much chemistry with their starters as they possibly can. This is something that Michael Malone loves to do often. So Bones is probably going to be in lineups where he is the alpha and omega on the offensive end. and That should be really fun for him. It's going to be a little bit concerning, I think, for Denver overall, but it's going to be a great learning experience for Bones. And they believe guys like Tyrese Maxey and Desmond Bain had big jumps in their second season. Jordan Poole had a big jump for the Warriors this past year. Why can't Bones do that? Why He's going to have the opportunities. He's going to be like, he's about all the right things. There are lots of indicators statistically that he can be in line for a jump. We'll see if he actually does it, but I, I will bet on Bones Highland going forward after seeing and talking to him over the course of this past calendar year. So you've actually been able to, you said, talk with Bones? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a media member and I, I get in on those scrums and I ask questions and whatnot. And so I was actually, I was, I was at Bones's introduction, if I'm not mistaken. It was a, it was really great. No, he's, he's fantastic. And, and he's, he's as genuine a human being as you will find. So do you have any, like, I don't know, tidbits about him? Like maybe just a little bit about his like personality? We, we personally don't know much about Bones. I mean, everything in terms of the, the energy and the excitement, it is that all the time. He is never down. He is always very up. He's always vocal in the, in the gym, whether it's in the practice facility or if it's during these games. He is always uh, in the ear of teammates, uh, trying to get the crowd riled up. And that's just his personality. That's who he is. He's bubbly. He's, he's infectious. Uh, not a great word due to COVID, but uh, he is just <laughs> one of those guys. He's one of those guys that really loves to uh, shine. And, and he does so in a big way. He's got a big personality. Uh, that generally translates, honestly. He carries himself like a star. Everybody believes that he can be a star. And I have no doubt that he will be. Well, hey, usually those are the kind of guys you need on teams to stand out and have that kind of swagger going into the playoffs too. You just need that kind of positive energy surrounding everybody. That's something we've always felt from Yoke and Jamal. And to ride right off of that positive energy coming into the playoffs and those guys that you need. Uh, I know we touched on Michael Porter Jr. Uh, briefly before. 
But Ryan, in your opinion, how crucial is Michael Porter Jr. going to be to this team in terms of a closing lineup when it's game six of a tough playoff series? Well, it's funny. I, I don't know if he's going to be in the closing lineup. There might be opportunities for guys like Bruce Brown and KCP and Aaron Gordon to kind of be that, <clears throat> that two, three, four that you're looking for. Uh, to surround Nikola Jokic defensively, to give him the proper personnel defensively, along with Murray, to be able to defend at a very high level. When you introduce Michael Porter into that, it gets a little bit more dicey. However, what Porter does is really unlock your offense. You know that Murray and Jokic is going to always be really good offense. There's no doubt about that. But to turn it into really great offense, unstoppable offense, you add a six foot ten shooter, a cutter, offensive rebounder, somebody who can uh, is confident in taking any shot at any time, and has the numbers to back it up that says that that's probably a good thing that he does it. And usually, the guys that have that are these these major gunners, these guys that will never pass the ball. And and Michael, he he doesn't never pass the ball. He just needs to learn how to do it. He's never had to do it before. He has justified shooting pretty much every time because he's shooting 44% from three and 56% of in twos, like 75% at the rim. Uh, He'll, he'll really, really improve as his body continues to improve. And though he was derailed over the course of this past year, I feel like while he's like, he's, he's coming back fully healthy. That's, that's what he says. That's what has been projected by his camp. And Denver's going to use that. They're going to try to rely on him. And though they may not play him all 82 games, he'll have a role, especially in the games where Murray doesn't play. And from your experience of covering the team, to me, from the outside looking in, it seems to be like somewhat of a mental game for him. Uh, Obviously, it's it's a physical challenge as well. And it's probably a mental challenge for a lot of these guys. But it seems to be like maybe he needs to better understand his role in this team. Uh, so to speak. Maybe I'm off base with that. Uh, but that's kind of just my perception of it. I didn't know what you have uh, maybe personally heard from him in terms of what he feels like his role is to this team. Oh, for sure. He, he's definitely taken some time to adjust. That is, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Porter is one of those guys that has been a first option, has been the leading scorer everywhere he's gone. And when he got to college and had his season derailed, he... Uh, when he when he told the Nuggets media uh, after he was drafted that he saw himself as a hybrid between Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo, we kind of knew it was going to be a little bit of a process in order to uh, have him see that, hey, you have to fit into an ecosystem here. Nikola Jokic, we know, is really good. And, and it was funny. One of the things that MPJ said about Jokic, he's like, man, in these runs, when, when he were, were in these runs, uh, when he was playing and starting to get up in his first season with the team, basically, he was like, man, Mason Plumlee's really good. I didn't realize that Jokic was so much better than him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's sort of the, his, his general feel is he is always going to view himself as the best player on the court until it's basically proven otherwise. And his mentality may have shifted over the course of this last year, I do think that he still wants to be the star that he's not, not the star. He still wants to be a star. I think he knows what Jokic means to the team. I think he knows what Murray means to the team. It's going to be difficult to get all of those guys 
averaging over 25 points per game at the same time. And there will be some kind of give back, some, some uh, uh, alleviating of, of the actual points load and the shooting load that he's going to have. But he will have opportunities. There's no doubt about that. And I think that as he continues to learn Jokic, as he continues to learn Murray, they will all fit together pretty well. I mean, like you said earlier, the fact that he's pretty much wheeled his way into having the green light at all times. Perhaps there's a bit of an agreement between him and Mike Malone where it's like, hey, might as well spot up, you know, like let these guys have their space. And if they find me, then I can take advantage. No doubt. And and I think there's been a give and take there because Porter has always been kind of a he, he's very AAU style where he he likes to run up and down the court. Uh, the, the guy who touches the ball at the top of the key is usually the guy who's going to shoot it. Uh, he likes to pull up from pretty much anywhere. And it's been a process in terms of having him learn the offense and find the best ways, the easiest ways for him to create open shots for himself and others. And that's always, that was always going to be a thing with him. And he was, I think, behind the curve in terms of learning how to play that effective, efficient offense. And he has to be a part of that. They're like, Had he gone to the Houston Rockets and played the Jalen Green role, he would probably be a completely different player right now. And he probably wouldn't be as geared to winning right now, but he might be a better player and might have developed some other skills with the ball in his hands. So I do think that Denver at this point, they know what they have with him. They know that they have to give him some rope uh, in order to, and some, some leash in order to have that runway to make mistakes, to do a lot of different things. But they know that in order to win a title, his talent has to show through. Yeah, I would definitely agree that there's plenty of room for Porter to grow because, I mean, you have guys that are willing to sacrifice KCP, for example, part of a championship team and definitely played his role. And it's just another exciting guy to throw around Jokic in the perimeter for any kind of in-transition looks. And then Bruce Brown, of course, I mean... The extent of Bruce Brown's offense that I've seen, he is miraculous at floaters. And that is almost it. Like he's, I mean, he's improved his three-point game so he can open up in the corner. But other than that, it's like the fact that the the Nuggets problem is that they have three fantastic creators on offense. It's just like Mike Malone and his staff, they must just be so ready to get everything in action. Oh yeah. You have you have different guys for uh, different stages of the game. Most of what Bruce Brown is going to contribute is on the defensive end, but right, he right. was a point guard at one point uh, for Detroit. He has some ball handling capabilities, some passing chops, and it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be uh, a, a massive thing where he's running 20 pick and rolls a game, but could he run a second side pick and roll and then dump it off to a roller or or perhaps at the, the pick and pop guy? Sure. he's He's not going to be a massive shot creator off the dribble or anything like that. But if you give him some space, something that I think Murray Porter and Jokic will probably help him get. I I do think he's going to be a guy who he will take advantage of those advantage situations. That's kind of what the Nuggets offense really is about. It's just generating an advantage, even if it's just a half step. Bruce Brown strikes me as a player who when he gets a half step, he can set up the floater. He can set up a crossover back to his other hand or whatnot. And he'll have opportunities to really take advantage of that. And it just makes sense. It just makes a logical sense 
for Denver's roster and how their rotation is going to come together. I think this offense is going to be really, really freaking good, and he will be a part of it. Yeah, and the biggest thing that excites me about having Bruce Brown on that team is, let's be honest, his ability to cut to the basket. Catching those water polo passes from Jokic are just going to be highlights. Uh, highlights to see for sure. Uh, the opportunity that the IQ and passing ability that Jokic possesses creates are just going to be capitalized on by guys like Bruce Brown and KCP, like Adam stated. So it's just it's 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 a great rotation. Uh, but to play right off of that, do you think they're done? I mean, is there any other moves that this team will make throughout the season? Maybe something before the deadline at all? Uh, is, it, is it completely locked in? Or is there any signings on the fringe that they might pick up? Uh, have you heard anything on that front? I haven't heard anything specifically in terms of names, but just thinking about it logically, Denver, they didn't really fill their backup center position. DeAndre Jordan is a backup center. Uh, I think that they're going to play Zeke Naji over him, who's six foot nine, two forty pounds, more of a small ball five, probably more of a traditional four than anything. Denver can probably get away with that, just because so many teams play small in their second unit. And I think that's actually going to be a very important thing for Denver in the playoffs is to have a guy like Zeke Naji who can switch one through five. But if Denver feels that they need a more traditional five they'll probably spend an asset or two in order to get that player. They also probably have to get another three at some point, somebody who's about 6'6 to 6'8 and who can space the floor a little bit off the bench. Right now, Davon Reed and Christian Brown are the two guys that are projected to be there. Davon Reed, actually pretty solid. He's a guy that could probably come out of nowhere a little bit and really help out Denver in a couple of games. Is he trusted in the playoffs? I don't know. And so you may want to get a guy that Michael Malone can trust just in case, let's say, Michael Porter Jr. goes down with a back injury. That would be awful, but we've seen it happen before. Yeah, you can't always rely on every single guy to stay healthy, so you need those other guys. So, Ryan, real quick, as an aside to some of the depth issues, at what was the real reason that DeMarcus Cousins wasn't welcomed back to the team? I mean, I know that he's been kind of just here and there over the past few seasons. But from the eye test and what I had seen of the Nuggets last year, I thought DeMarcus Cousins was playing moderately well behind Jokic, just filling in a great role for them. Like being able to not really fulfill space the floor, but you know, just be it a moderately efficient presence. For sure. And I, I would agree with that too, that what Denver needed last year in order to get wins was to stabilize their second unit. Somebody at the center position who could reprise what Jokic was doing. Mason Plumley had done that for a while in Denver, but DeMarcus Cousins is even better at it because you can throw him the ball in the post or have him operate at the top of the key in terms of a pick and pop threat. And he usually does pretty well in those situations, at least better than people would expect. I think that the biggest reason why they didn't bring him back, he rubbed some people the wrong way. While he was here, there were uh, some, some tendencies that he had, some behind-the-scenes things that he had that I, I won't get into for obvious reasons, but he's a player who has done that over the course of his career to a lot of different organizations, and he hasn't really stuck around. I also think that one of the things Denver really needed was some more mobility at the, at the five position, and they want to play a more switchable scheme when Jokic is off the floor, 
They want to be able to go to that. Obviously, you can't switch with DeMarcus Cousins. It is just not viable at all to have him switch onto a point guard or a shooting guard. And so Denver, they go a little bit smaller. They still got Jeff Green and Zeke Naji. Uh, you're you're going to have DeAndre Jordan just in case you need a little bit of a bigger option. But more than anything, Denver's going to be relying on their smaller guys in order to make it happen. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, DeMarcus has that name and the allure behind being a top five pick and his career just obviously didn't go the way it was supposed to. And now you see him just bouncing around and you're like, he's given something, but it's tough to hear about the behind the scenes stuff too. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's just how it goes. Yeah, it's too bad. I I liked covering DeMarcus Cousins while he was here, but he racked up like 10 technical fouls in 30 games. Like Yikes. it was, it was <laughs> unparalleled in terms of the technical fouls per game uh, that, I, that I've actually ever seen. And he'd, he'd put Rashid Wallace to shame. So I don't think that Denver wanted that. They, it, it definitely wore Denver down uh, during that stretch. So I'm not surprised that it happened the way that he did, despite him being a very good player. He's, he's talented, but uh, dynamics just go much deeper than that. And it doesn't hurt that the Los Angeles Clippers are playing Marcus Morris at the five, 20 minutes a game. So any of the Jeff Green, Najee, any of those guys can body up with Morris. Yeah, and I also think that Aaron Gordon might be a pretty good option for them. I, I mentioned it briefly in the podcast and, and in the article that it does seem like Denver needs that small ball five that can uh, basically be a four traditionally. Aaron Gordon has never played the five in his career. It's about time that he starts learning a little bit because he makes sense as a roller. He's so athletic and so versatile, and he's actually a really good passer. They give him space in the middle of the floor. He can kick out to uh, the corner. He can kick out to other shooters, and he can also finish over the top of guys and around guys. So it's something that I would explore. Maybe it's something that Denver does in the playoffs, but for that reason, they don't really need a, a strong backup five. When we're looking at Nikola Jokic this coming season, coming off of a back-to-back MVP run, what is the likelihood of him to win it again? And if not, is it all just going to be because of, you know, the typical voter fatigue that all the pundits want to talk about? Me and Adam personally think Giannis might be making a, a little bit of a, <laughs> making a run for yeah. the money this year, personally. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, what is your what is your thoughts on Nikola Jokic going for a three P? Oh yeah, then and I would honestly pick Giannis too. It seems like they're probably lining up to win fifty eight to sixty games or something like that, and Giannis is going to be at the peak of his powers too. So it's definitely a strong pick. I'd say that Denver they have as good of a chance as anybody else to win 55, 58, 60 games in the West. Uh, if, if everything comes together the way that we believe that it can, Jokic is going to be at the center of it all. He's still going to average, even with Murray and Porter coming back, he's still probably going to average at least 25, 12, and 8. And at the efficiency that he does, with the number of games that he plays, those numbers are really going to translate into season-long impact. And he's the best player on the best team at the end of the season. Maybe that uh, helps his case out a little bit, anything less than that. And I think people are going to want to give it to somebody else. Even with that, I I did, (coughs) excuse me. I did some data research on uh, the previous near three peats 
in the MVP award, you had the actual three peats in Larry Bird, uh, Bill Russell, and uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Those guys all won it three times in a row. Nobody else has. Michael Jordan back in 1996 to 98, he won it twice on those outside two years. The one in the middle, uh, he lost it to Carl Malone, despite the fact that he had better numbers and the Chicago Bulls won more games. Uh, the same thing with LeBron, except for the, the number of games. They won 58 games in 2011, and Derrick Rose won the MVP that year because the Chicago Bulls won 62 games, despite the fact that Rose had clearly lower numbers than Age somebody like LeBron. season as well. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's nuts to think about. And, and Rose deserved that award. I, I'm not trying to, definitely not trying to undercut that, but it is interesting to think about what voter fatigue will do. It's one of the reasons why, despite the fact that Giannis had a fantastic 2020-21 season, that Jokic was the guy who won the award. Uh, he, he And it was pretty clear, despite the fact that Giannis actually had a really strong case for it, probably stronger than Embiid in each of these last two years. But I do think that Jokic probably won't win it. He'll probably cede some of that credit to a guy like Murray, to a guy like Porter. And even if Denver does win like 57, 58 games, it's going to be hard for him to win. Yeah, and it's just stacked there at the at, at the table of the MVP voting. <laughs> to be honest, it is it is a group of heavy hitters for sure. Before we wrap up here, Ryan, and we do our uh, customary one more take segment. Uh, last question here: If you're looking, if you're assuming health and a deep seated playoff run here for this Denver Nuggets team, what matchup are you most fascinated by coming into into the playoffs? It's interesting. It's probably not the one that you guys are thinking of, but I think the Phoenix Suns. I think the one with the Clippers is going to be defined by Ivisa Zubac versus Nikola Jokic, and that kind of gets away from the A game of what the Clippers most want to do. I think the one with the with the Warriors, it's very straightforward. Either the Nuggets perimeter defensive upgrades are going to work and Denver's going to be able to score, or they're not, and Denver's not going to be able to score enough. I do think that by the end of that series, Jokic sort of figured some things out against Draymond Green and had some very strong games, but it's not going to work unless the defense improves. With the Suns, I think that that's a really, really fascinating one because it's the one where everybody really looks to what Jokic did defensively and basically bashes him for it. And they have some reasons to. There's no doubt about it that he wasn't as good as he needed to be defensively. But Devin Booker and Chris Paul made some absurd shots that series. It didn't matter how close the contest was. It didn't matter that Jokic was in their face trying to get these contests. They were just making the tough shots. What happens if they don't make the tough shots this time around? And more importantly, what happens when Jamal Murray is lighting them up on the other side and they actually have to guard? They actually have to do something about that. Because I don't think, like, if you play... Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic. Who do the Suns defend those guys with? Because if you're not defending, uh, if you're not defending Murray with Bridges and he's on Porter, then that means that Devin Booker's defending Murray or Jay Crowder is on Michael Porter. And there's a lot of mismatch potential there, kind of more so than what the Suns even had when they were facing the Nuggets in a couple years ago. So that's the matchup that I would be really intrigued with. And it's the one that I think Nuggets fans, they want revenge more so than they want over the Warriors. 
yeah, the Suns really do wish that Bridges wingspan was that wide to be able to guard all three of them at once. (laughs) I mean, the way they talk, I mean, the way that every part of the media talks about Bridges potential as a wing defender, my vote for the defensive player of the year, by the way, as well. But that's hearsay. There's always been a weird comment that Ben and I have made about the Phoenix Suns offense. And I'm glad that you brought up that matchup because watching every playoff game, their their backbone play is the downhill slope where Chris Paul, Devin Booker, who even bridges at times will just run off of high screens and they want to switch Jokic onto Chris Paul. They want to make, because that's vulnerable as unfortunate as it is because Jokic has taken steps as an interior defender. But as soon as you get Chris Paul switched onto a center of any caliber, it's usually game over. And that is just the backbone play that they want to rely on. And then Booker obviously is excellent at running that. And then Bridges is getting there. But it's just anything that Denver was going to throw at Phoenix the last two years, I feel like was going to be really, really vulnerable to that. And obviously, we saw, we saw that happen. But now, yeah, you have Bruce Brown in there to effectively guard the three. And then, I mean, you just have so much switchability between Aaron Gordon as well. And then you throw KCP in there. It's just, I feel like that's really going to be a lockdown situation. Like that's, that's going to go toe to toe with every team in the West. I feel it. And, and I know you guys want to get to that, that final take. So I, uh, I know that I can probably fire mine off now if we're talking about Denver's actual ceiling. I think Denver's going to win the title. I think they are going to win it. And they're currently the ninth or 10th ranked team in terms of the odds on a, on a site like DraftKings or FanDuel or places like that. They're not even in the, the top picture in terms of the teams that are really in the conversation for winning a championship. And a lot of it is because of the health a lot of it is because of, I think, there are a lot of questions about where Denver is at after some pretty awful finishes these last couple of years. But they have the talent. I don't think anybody can question that anymore. As long as those guys make it to the playoffs and they're going to do everything they can to rest those guys, to give them a lot of opportunities to uh, take some time off and take some breathers, not have to work super hard during the regular season, they are going to be one of the forces to reckon with in the playoffs because you have the MVP, you have a two all-star caliber talents in Murray and Porter as they continue to grow. Whether they make the all-star teams or not, I don't know. Uh, but I do firmly believe in that trio in terms of offensive talent, and I firmly believe in the players that they added as defensive talent. So yep, add it all together, and I don't see a team that can stop them. Tell me I'm wrong. Hey, it's a tough argument. It's a tough argument to go up against. Uh, I they're, they're, They'd be in my top three in terms of looking at who title favorites, personally. So I, it's, not, it's not hot to me by any means. I don't think it's hot to Adam. No, either. it's certainly not. I mean, I suppose I can piggyback off of that as well. But I'll say my one condition is that Jamal has to be 90% ready from the get and just hit the ground running. They figure out that chemistry early. I'm talking 30% of the way through this season. And they can just get the tread going as soon as possible. Forget the injury. Forget everything. Forget Porter Jr.'s injury. They're just fully locked in. I'll say it'll take that 
which I fully believe in them being able to do. No, it feels like they can. It feels like this is something where it's going to take some proving. It's going to take some time for people to really justify it. But I have no doubt that they can do it, which there are a lot of people that think that they can't. There are a lot of people that just think that Jokic will never be able to defend at that level. And who knows? They might be right. They might be right. The Jokic, with the way that he plays and the size that he's at, cannot defend a Steph Curry, cannot defend a Chris Paul, cannot defend Devin Booker on the perimeter, whoever. But can he be just as indefensible? Can he be just as unguardable as those guys? I think the answer is yes, and I think he's proven it every single playoff run he's been in. So he's just getting better. Kind of like Giannis, he's had to go through some ups and downs. but. Now he's on the other side. They added a couple of pieces that should be helpful, and we'll see whether he can make good on it. Yeah, and to just close it all out here with mine, right off of that, I know you said Phoenix is the most fascinating matchup for you, but personally, I'm looking at Golden State versus uh, Denver. That's the one I want to see in the conference finals. So let's lock it in right here. Warriors versus Denver conference finals. Oh, Denver in seven. Oh, I love it. If I can have one quick word on that. We're going to learn if, if that series happens, if Andrew Wiggins actually wants to play power forward like he did against Boston. Does he want to bang around with Jokic on the inside on a switch? Because I don't think that's... A, I mean, obviously, we saw it this year in very light doses because of what happened in the first round, but it's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Going to love to see it. Nonetheless, Ryan... Thanks again for coming on. We'd love to talk to you again later uh, in the season here once things get rolling. Hopefully, we get an opportunity opportunity to do that uh, to kind of check in with you at where the team is at in terms of health and and you know morale and whatnot. So, thanks again for coming on. For the listeners, uh, you can follow all of Ryan's work with Mile High and of course the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, what's your social medias and whatnot? Yeah, it's uh, it's at NBA Blackburn for the Twitter. And you can find the Pickaxe and Roll pod anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever. Well, nonetheless, uh, always stay tuned for content here from the Hoop Forum on the Dip Podcast Network. We're signing off now. See ya.